Hey, y'all. It's your host, Lexi Curry. We're back from the Flybridge. On this episode, we sit down with Mike McCarthy and Mark Mitchell talking everything from Wall Street to Walker's K. Here we go. I am here with two of HMY's highest performing yacht brokers with two very different paths of getting here. Today, we have Mike McCarthy and Mark Mitchell. Thank you both for being here. Thanks, Lexi. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Lexi. I'm dying to jump right in to that exact path for each of you. Mike, didn't you start on Wall Street? Yeah, I, I guess I, I had a pretty unusual trajectory to come to the yacht brokerage world. Um, you know, as a kid, I, I worked on commercial clam boats and then worked on long liners and eventually worked my way out to Montauk, New York, where I got in a pretty renowned sport fishing boat, Sneaky Pete, um, through my college years. And, and fortunately for me, my college years, because I went to five different colleges, spanned seven years. So I had a pretty extensive knowledge of sport fishing. <laughs> five boats. for seven. Yeah. So I was a sophomore three years in a row. But anywho. <laughs> Uh, eventually, I graduated, went to work to Wall Street. But my years on the Sneaky Pete, um, who was a big, long-time HMY client, were just uh, uh, uncreatable. I mean, it was just really changed my life in a, in a lot of different ways, and it was super helpful in, in my yacht brokerage career. I hear a strong accent. I work with you. I know it. But everyone's thinking you're clearly not from Florida. Give us some background. Born and raised. France. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Long Island, New York. <laughs> we would have never guessed. Yes, much to my Connecticut-born wife's uh, demise. Yes, I'm from, from Long Island. <laughs> what did she say the first time she heard your accent? Um, <laughs> she said, look, we can fix that. <laughs> she's an optimist. Has she had any luck? Ne negative. She, she's corrected it in my, ch in my children. I have a... a a son and a daughter, and fortunately, she's worked that out. <laughs> and they have a very uh, good manners, and they're well-spoken, and do they have any of your accent? Uh, certain words, but for the most part, no. Thank God. Do you take like a fist pump when like they get like a good slang in there? <laughs> There's certain curse words, they have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, proud dad. Okay, so Mark, let's jump into your background, like totally switching gears. I know we just said that Mike grew up in New York. You have a very different background, don't you? I do. And going back to Mike, thank God his children look like his mom. Good looking <laughs> family, awesome people. Get to hang out with him quite a bit. Um, no, I grew up in Orlando and I'm a Florida raised guy. My parents were Florida raised. Their parents were Florida raised. So long lineage there. I grew up on a, on a lake, believe it or not, fishing every morning before we went to school. Skiing every weekend, tubing, gators swimming around us. It didn't matter. That's what we did. And my dad, every weekend, he would take us fishing. It didn't matter if it was inshore fishing in the Mosquito Lagoon, Indian River, or offshore fishing out of Port Canaveral or Fort Pierce. That's what we did. Me and my brother, my poor mom, she grew up with two boys and a husband. That's all they want to do is hunt and fish. And we spent a lot of time on the boat. And you have two kids of your own, right? I got a five-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy, and uh, the little boy is, you can't keep him off the dock with his rod, and the little girl is into it too, so pretty pretty happy dad about that. So much to be proud of. <clears throat> so walk me through, first off, Mike, your journey to yacht brokerage, because that's not something that, you know, you've actually said this to me. It's not something you wake up as a child and say, I want to be a yacht broker when I grow up. Well, I mean, I was fascinated with boats ever since a young age. My, my dad was a Special Forces Marine, Force Recon, and we grew up around the water. And we grew up in, in Bayport, Sable area of Long Island, which was the clam capital of the world. So as a kid, the natural progression was we all got clam boats when we were 12 or 13 years old, and we'd go out and we'd long rake clams in the Great South Bay. And it was fantastic. I mean, we had all the freedom of a boat. And heck, if you were good at it, you could make $75, $80 a day in cash. And for a 12-year-old in the late 70s, that was pretty, pretty dope. So years later, a hurricane came through and kind of messed the clamming up on the Great South Bay. And I 
had one of my old girlfriends driving a Montauk to try to find a job on a sport fish boat. So a couple hours later, I had kind of BS my way onto a boat and I had to tell the poor gal that I was staying and, <laughs> and she, she was, was heading, going. She was heading home. So that was a, a short lived relationship, <clears throat> but it was it began my love of Montauk and sport fishing and, and, and the whole thing. So I you know, I worked with a on a forty six ocean in the early nineteen eighties and we were super fortunate to win a couple of tournaments and then I I lucked out and got a job on the Sneaky Pete and you know Pete Ryan the owner and his son Scott have become family and it literally changed my life. But in work when you have heard a funny story offline and I need people to know about this about something about a boat washing situation. So when I trade well my ex-girlfriend drove me out to Montauk I I talked to a, an owner of a boat and said hey like you know I kind of uh, tweaked my background a little bit. I mean, I'd, prior to that, I'd worked on a commercial longliner and a headboat and dug clams. And he said, "Okay, well, why don't you wash my boat? If I, if I, while I watch watch you wash it, I can determine if you've been around the block." And fortunately, two boats over, a guy who's now one of my good, really good friends was washing the boat at the same time. So I just literally mimicked everything he was doing so when we were done this is a sunday afternoon he was driving back to western long island to his home and he told me on thursday i will be back and we are giant tuna fishing and i'm like you got it <laughs> i love it i love it i love it okay so mark tell us your journey to yavrokridge we're halfway there with with mike well here's how me and mike are like you grow up with it. You're around it. Everything that you do, you're on the water, you're on, you know, on a boat, you're fishing, you're cruising, you're doing the Bahamas, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you, you never tell yourself when you're younger, well, here's what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fireman. I want to be not a yacht broker. It just you fall into it. And it's because of the things that you do growing up. It's because of the love of the water and the boats, and it's because of you love people. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for me, it was growing up on the water, you know, graduated to fishing in the ocean and with my dad on a small boat, and we, we ended up getting bigger boats over the years, and you just fall in love with it. I remember every time he wanted to go fishing, I was rigging baits at night, you know, ballyhoos, getting rigs ready, crimping, you know, lures on, everything. I was the one who did that, and he let me because he knew I loved it. So he helped kind of, I guess, promote that as well. And then in college, um, went to Florida State, worked on a bunch of different boats, got my captain's license, mated on a buddy's boat for a long time, Louisiana, charter fishing, the rigs, tuna fishing, marlin fishing, Panama City. I am dying to do that. I'm sorry, I have to know about that. Like, I need to know more about Louisiana and that neck of the woods. It's foreign to me. I want to do it. Please tell me about it. Back when we started, this is like 02, 03, 04, it was like uh, kind of the long lost world then. No one was doing it, you know, or very few people were. We, we'd go 100 miles offshore and you'd see two boats and that was a crowd. So... We didn't know what we were doing starting out, but we figured it out real quick because the fishery is so good over there. So you leave a morning, catch bait on the way out in the shallow rigs, fish the break, what they call the break. Mississippi dumps a bunch of water out. The brown water that's nutrient-rich meets with the blue water, and you get this real solid break, and then you fish along there and catch whatever you want, dolphin, wahoo, you know, whatever it is. What's your favorite thing to catch? Yeah, everything that we do, uh, we we absolutely love catching everything. You know, it's uh, I'm tunas, a tuna. I, I feel like tuna is my thing. What do you, what's what would if you had to pick? What would it be? Blue marlin. Now it's just that's the ultimate game fish. True, in my opinion. true, true. But the the tuna fishing out there is wonderful. We caught big fish, two hundred pounders. You know, during the winter time, two twenty. Um, you, you'd fish offshore. You'd do an overnighter, uh, live bait or troll. Uh, or even cut bait, and then run back in, fish the shallow rigs, 
finish up with snapper and groupers and you're stopping on a fish box on the way in. I Very love neat fishery. Break that down for anyone that hasn't done that before. What's the bait that you use? What rods are you using? What boat are you on? Paint that picture for anyone that hasn't done that before. Absolutely worth doing. So that's where I cut cut my teeth, charter fishing. Uh, spent a lot of time in the Bahamas charter fishing with the same guy uh, during college, after college, and then kind of fell into uh, the brokerage business as you graduate to getting older, having a family, can't travel as much anymore, and wife, kids, and it's all good. Love it. When you go to Louisiana, like you were talking about that fishing, what bait do you use when you're, obviously it varies for species. Let's talk about, give me two. For blue marlin and tuna, give me bait for that, what rods you use, and how you catch them. Yeah, if we like using 50s over there. If you're going to, you know, tournament fish for the big, bigger fish, you're using, you know, tunas, small tunas to live bait them. You got to jump up to the 80s or 130s. But what we did was fun fishing. So it wasn't tournament. You you weren't, you know, on the gun trying to get in a big fish on a light line. We, we use 50s. And we use live baits a lot of time, going up current of the oil rigs and floating them back, especially at night was really good. And you could float them back and, you know, you catch 12 or 13 a night. And um, trolling was really good, too, around the rigs, blue marlin, dolphin, and, and tunas. It was, you know, just amazing fishery, actually untapped, I think, in my opinion. What is it like to sleep overnight? Do you take bladder tanks <clears throat> on the boat? Like, what is that like? For us on that uh, 33 Pursuit, it was center console you'd run until you find the fish you might find them 60 miles offshore and the guy i fished with had an oil rig buddy so he'd call him up and say you see the fish there the tunas is what we were fishing for and they'd say no or yes and we'd start at 60 miles and keep working further off until you found the fish and summertime was great you know uh besides a occasional storm summer storm you'd be sleeping on a bean bag and very comfortable very easy i didn't sleep but some people did. <laughs> were you too excited yeah too too yeah, you know what? I fish all night long and people getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> getting exactly. paid for it. So I couldn't go to sleep. But True. People True. did. And it was very comfortable. If somebody wanted to go fish Louisiana, exactly what you're talking about, what's one piece of advice you'd give them? There's some really good charter guys out of there. Um and specifically not, what town? Venice and Port Fouchon is where I fished out of. And those are the great places. The the three main places are Port Port Fouchon, Venice, and and Grand Isle. And uh, Port Fouchon in Venice, where I, I fished out of. Venice got some great guys. Uh, John Cole's out of there, Southern Outfitters. He's he's a good charter fisherman. There's some other other good guys out of there. There you have it. Great recommendation and good places to Google and research there and dream about Mark Mitchell's fishing <laughs> adventures. Okay, so both of these guys are being very humble. I work with them. I work alongside them. I see them at boat shows. I see them in the office. I see them on a day-to-day -day life. These are two of the most experienced, the most accomplished, and the most professional yacht brokers that you'll have in the industry. And I'm really grateful to have both of you here. So I want to dive in with Mike McCarthy here because you truly specialize in motor yachts. Even though you have all of the sport fishing background like we just talked about, you know, tuna fishing and, you know, clam and all that stuff. And can you speak more to that? Well, I guess it's kind of a, a happy accident. Um, I was at a sales meeting 15 years ago and uh, the boss had asked, you know, who would like to put their name on this 61 Viking or 55 Viking? And, and certainly everybody in the room's hands went up and they, they, they locked down a boat. At the very end, they asked, who would like to put their name on the 67 Viking Sport Cruiser Princess? And nobody had raised their hand. And I'm like, as a new guy, I'm like, sure, I'll do it. And, you know, on Yacht World, it said Mike McCarthy, contact for additional information on the boat. And about two weeks later, I had a guy from New York City contact me and want to come down. So, you know, as a fisherman, I had there's a fair amount of a learning curve to learn about the boat. So he gets down there, and I thought I did my due diligence. And one of the questions they asked me goes, Where, where's the passerelle? So I had to go around the corner and hide a little bit and call my <laughs> corporate captain and say, what the hell is a passerelle? <laughs> That's the boarding ladder for you fishing people. Yes, thank you for, <laughs> thank you for explaining that. Because I had a lot of uh, We did sell him the boat. And he was an excellent customer and referrer. 
That's what you want. I love it. I love it. So Mike McCarthy <laughs> in our world and anyone that knows HMY or even just yacht brokerage is known as the princess yachts guru. You have absolutely grown and climbed to the top of that ladder. This man knows the insides and out, the entire company, the entire brand of motor yachts in general and, and sportfish as well. But talk to me about the X95 debut. Like we have so many exciting things happening in Princess. So listen, I've, I've been with Princess for, and the brand and HMI for 15 plus years. And it's, it's an amazing brand. I mean, they, they have a 52-year pedigree of building boats. And if you go to a boat show, there's a lot of new people bringing product online. And the hardest thing in the world is to pay for the machinery, the tool, tooling, and the development of these boats. I mean, to build a 95-foot boat that can go out and pound around in six to eight-foot seas and do it successfully year in, year out, and successfully survey five years later, that's a very difficult thing to achieve. And with Princess and their background in LVMH, I mean, they have the horsepower behind them, which is second to none. There's nobody in the world. I mean, you know, for, for a period last week, for two days, uh, the principal owner, Bernard Arnault, was the richest man in the world. I mean, he is the owner of 70 luxury brands, including Princess and Princess, I mean, and, and um, Fedship, the Van Lent Yard, and, you know, Givenchy and, and Hermes and a ton of luxury brands. Very forward-looking company and look to develop things in the future. And they don't cut any short paths. So it, it's been a very exciting company to be with. I mean, the thing about it is, is they have a flair for luxury in building the boats. But if, if any have been in Plymouth, England, it's one of the roughest places on earth. I mean, I giant tuna fish pretty regularly up in Nova Scotia, which everyone complains about. It's nothing compared to Plymouth, England. It is rough. And if you're going to build a luxury brand and put it out there, and if it's not well put together, that boat's going to come apart, it seems. So I've been proud to do business with them. They're just very, it's a very well thought out conceived company. And like you're speaking to, it is tested in the harshest of conditions. So in motor yachting, that's an incredible thing to know that you're, you know, you're backed by that technology, that engineering, and that your boat's been put to the test before it's ever delivered to you. So I think you speak volumes and that you can attest to all of that, especially with your experience with the company. And I want to totally switch gears now to Mark Mitchell and talk about some sport fishing stuff. I have been dying to get back over to Walker's K, which you just came home from, correct? That's correct. I applaud Mike for uh, knowing the Princess product and and knowing more than most. And he sells everything. He sells sport fishing boats. He sells Princess, but he knows the product. So good on you, buddy. Love you. Walker's K. <laughs> Mike has a lot more experience there in the past than I do. Um, I was there recently, and I first started going to Walker's probably when I was right after, you know, the the hurricanes and storms took the island. And we went back there just to see what it looked like, and it was devastating. It was sad, actually, because it was a place that guys like Mike and, you know, a lot of our colleagues grew up fishing at. And, you know, Billy Black, good friend of ours on the Duchess, um, you know, grew up there. And that's where they they spent their time. So for me, you know, I saw it after the fact. Mike, Mike had been there before the hurricanes took it. I saw it after the fact. And, you know, you, you appreciate the beauty of the island. You appreciate the concept and what it could be. But I saw it afterwards. And uh, last time I was there was in 2017. We went actually on the, a 70 Viking, good, good friend of mine's boat. We had Billy on the boat, Billy Black. And we went in and stayed on the bulkhead by ourselves no one else around grass growing over the bulkhead um you know the church was still there but broken out windows the docks were were dilapidated everything was just you know what you envisioned if a bad storm came through there and wrecked and that's what it was um carl and Gigi allen bought the island um and in 2018 and have since rebuilt and kind of given a facelift and 
kind of redone everything. I mean, bulkheads are in, floating docks are in, a new entrance uh, with a dredged area coming into the place, new breakwater. They've done wonders with the island. And, uh, and we how had, many mega yachts were there? We had four mega yachts, 40 sport fishing boats that were fishing the tournament, plus, you know, a handful of uh, other boats. And the place was amazing. I That's mean, incredible. The, unbelievable. You know, the audience that it brought. And I want you to elaborate on what you saw now. You know, we just touched a little bit on what has happened. And Mike's going to, you know, take us through that past and what, you know, and, and how we've got to where we are. But I want you to tell me what you saw when you were just there, because you just went to Walker's, you were with a client, correct? Correct, yeah. Fishing a tournament. Fishing the Walker's K Invitational, first one they had there in 20 years. That's so very special. Nostalgia was was there, it was pretty neat, you know. Explain the camaraderie or, you know, the feeling in the air of having that. Well, you got the, the best blue marlin fishermen on the East Coast fishing tournament. That's who was there, all the big guys. Um, excitement was there. Skip Smith was running the tournament. Carl and Gigi Allen, uh, accommodated everyone and they had fuel, power, water. The floating docks were amazing. The Island was unreal. Everyone there was just the excitement was, was unbelievable. So I think the thing about walkers is, you know, I'm 55 years old, but everybody who's in my gen or a little bit younger, they all grew up fishing there. It was the most legendary place. You know, and if you look at Walker's K Chronicle on Saturday mornings. Flip Pallet. Flip Pallet. Yep. I mean, you got the inshore, the offshore, the deep drop. It's just a legendary place. Tell anyone listening that doesn't know what that is, what you're talking about. As far as? The Flip Pallet. Oh, it was a, it was a show on ESPN. Show, yeah. yeah, if and, anyone's and, never you know, seen me it. Me as a snowbound New Yorker back then when I was 18 years old, we couldn't wait to Saturday morning to watch Walker's K's Chronicles. I mean, it was with... It, it was Flip Hallett's a world a legendary iconic uh, guy, fly, you know, fly fishing guy. But yep. they also spoke to a lot of the adventures of the sea lion, which was owned by the Apple Nap. So the Apple Nap family back then owned the island. They had a 56 foot Whitaker called the sea lion. Uh, Jack Knoll was a, one of the mates and Jimmy, Jimmy ran the boat. Um, but it was this legendary. But a lot of guys, if you'll find from West Palm to Lauderdale to Stewart, they made their bones on that island in the late 70s and early 80s. That's where we all learned to offshore fish. That's one of my favorite places to fish. You grow up, you know, in Stewart. That's a quick place to get over to. West End, you know, is a little further away. Even we love West End. We go there all the time. But where we fish is off Walker's Cay. So good to have that in route. And Carl and Gigi are not stopping until that whole thing is complete. They're they're going to do uh, cottages. The restaurant's going to be resurrected. The the church is already up. The docks are done. Um, it's going to be a very neat place for a lot of people. Trap. So they're coming, back, coming back. They're coming yeah. back in full force. <laughs> yep. You absolutely recommend. Can you give somebody who's never been to Walkers just like a you know a little go to you know obviously for future reference when they get on their feet outside of the marina what you love about it. like what are your two favorite things about walkers you can do anything there you can dive shoot fish you can offshore fish you can bottom fish you can deep drop everything is right there within a few miles and it's uh the people are friendly and it's just a beautiful place to be it awesome. really is all right let's get to the fun part who'd you fish with what'd you catch so I got a good friend of mine. He owns a 70 Viking, Mr. LTD. You and, sold uh, Yeah, a few years ago. You sold the boat? I did. I sold him a uh, 70. The thing is a bad, bad boy. It's fast. It's uh, one of the better riding boats that I've been on. And uh, we, we fished a uh, fish tournament, pre-fished a couple days. He's got a good captain on the boat, um, good crew. He's a good guy. And... Uh, Replace, we place respectably. Fishing was a little slow. This time of year, it can be red hot or it can be a little bit slow. We had the backside of the moon, so I think that had a, an effect on it. But um, everyone caught caught some fish, and it was just a fun outing. Okay, don't tease us. What'd you catch? So we uh, we had a couple bites a day. Lure fishing, you got 60 70% hookup ratio max. Uh, that's just what it is, and that's what we decided to do. Some people, you know, did did the bait thing. 
which you have to use circle hooks. We didn't want to do that. So we were pulling pulling plastics around. And, uh, so you have a choice to make. You do. Yeah. They get different points for uh, dead baits on circle hooks versus plastics on J-hooks. Which is more? Uh, we know this, but I hooks. want people listening, circle hooks are listening to understand. 50 or 100 points more in most tournaments. So we, we decided to pull plastics, cover some water. Yeah. Um, you know, based on what we saw with the temperatures and breaks and everything, that's what we decided to do. And I think we had pretty good luck. We caught, there was 40 boats fishing, three days, 27 fish were caught. We caught, we caught two blue marlin, pulled off three. So it was so tough fishing. So you saw some good action we, though. We did. You we, had fish behind the boat. We did. We did. It was, it was good fishing. I well, mean, good, good for us for point being, you know. I get the vibe of great times, good nostalgia of seeing that place come back, fish behind the boat. I I think that's incredible that that's on the rise. And I think everyone's really excited about the hype behind that tournament. It was unreal. Yeah, it's got good things coming. You know, everyone um, I think is watching, see what's going on, aerial footage, uh, Facebook for, for Carl Allen and Gigi on the uh, Walker's K and good things coming for it and good good things coming for everyone as a result. Okay, so everyone stay tuned for walkers. Get over there. Awesome. So I want to bring up something about fishing, specifically marlin fishing. And there is a new technology out there, and it's sonar, you know, and it's drop-down sonar. Let's talk about that. There's boats that have it. There's boats that don't. Can both of you elaborate? Tell them what sonar is, what it shows, you know, what it entails. And the biggest question do you think it's cheating or not? Obviously, it's not cheating. It's very much a lot. I'm just saying, you know, for those that are fishing against those that have sonar, we're coming up on the White Marlin Open. We're coming up on on big tournaments. Skip just had a lot of large tournaments, big money. What are your thoughts on sonar? I'll roll with that, Mikey. Uh, the The bottom machine that we had, we just replaced the transducer. And it was great. Actually, the electronics on the boat were brand new. And this was our first time testing out as in the Walker's tournament. And we could actually mark a marlin and watch it. And you'd have to do circles, but you could actually follow it. And I think at one circumstance, we probably raised one of those fish. The Omni sonar, which is what drops down below the boat, and you can actually see 360 at certain angles. And I don't know all the technical terms. But a lot of the guys in the Gulf are using that, and they're they're having great success um, with following fish and actually seeing what's going on and seeing if they're going up or down or staying put. And you know, blue marlin they don't eat every day. You know, you got to follow them around. You got to see what they're doing. And you know, a lot of those guys will follow them around for hours and pitch them down baits and see when they eat, and they have success sometimes. So. I think it's technology. I mean, I, I'm going back to, I'm laughing because I'm going back to my dad. He's got a, uh, an actual printer in the, in the <laughs> attic from his old boat where he showed it to me a handful of times when I was growing up that would actually print the bottom. Yes. And he was proud of it. He's like, look at this. This is the coolest thing ever. You know, right. here's what we have for technology. Now, obviously you go we're dropping sonars out of the we're, bottom of our boats right, and right. we're like, hey, there's a marlin underneath Completely your left dredge. Completely different ball game. So, you know, it's the sign of the times. It's technology. It's look at our iPhones. Look at our uh, tablets. Look look at everything that's going on. Uh, of course, they're going to come out with something that can pop down out of the bottom of a boat and see a fish where it's going. Now, you still have to have a crew that knows how to follow it, knows how to pitch a bait down to it, feed a bait properly uh, that knows how to tie knots and be able to pull a fish in. That's a great point is like, yeah, we can know where it's at and technology is taking us there, but you still got to have the right hands, you know, to get you to the rest of the story. hundred percent. It's all, you know, you can. I like that you brought that up. That's a good point because, uh, you know, everyone can have a sonar, but you're still going to have the top two or three guys that always are on top. And there's a reason for that. All right. And uh, Mike, you told me a really good story offline that we didn't get to finish. And it's something you with somebody that you knew that had sonar. Yeah. A good friend of mine who's a world-class, uh, both Marlin and South Fisherman, was down in the DR. And he runs a high-profile boat down there. And his boat does not have the drop-down 
Yeah, Omni. Uh, the Omni. sonar, yeah. And his friend who runs a, a different boat who, who did, we call him and say, hey, listen, you got a school of fish blitzing across your spread right now. I'm dying. Look down. And he was like, oh, my God. So as a result of it, his boss is going to retrofit, which is a pretty healthy investment, to put the Omni in there. So it's like, you know, how do people- So look? he was all in when he heard that. Well, yeah. I mean, and he had he was he fished a couple of the uh, triple crowns down in Costa Rica, and they, they saw the kind of the same thing. And it's the evolution of technology. Absolutely. I mean, it's it just- it is what it is. I mean, Ernest Hemingway would say this is all BS. <laughs> but, you know, hey, we, we complain about a bottom machine or a temperature gauge. It, That's right. It, it just is what it is. And you got to utilize what you can to your greatest advantage. I mean, who knows what's going to happen down the road with with, zone, with um, drones. Yes. You know that's going to come into play someday. And I know that's already come into play a little bit with the giant tuna fishing industry. That's a really cool thought. Like. Obviously, we've all thought about it, but that's a great point that you make that. We have no idea where the future is going, but we have a slight idea, and we're watching it happen. So I want to hear from both of you, craziest story with a potential client. Let me go first. Sure. Mikey? Sure. All, all right, right, Mark, let's hear it. Now, what first comes to mind, obviously, there's a lot of years of different stories that you can think of but um now I, I sold a boat to a good friend of mine he's still a good friend today in virginia uh we went up there it, it was an amazing story we made an offer on the boat we went up there surveyed the boat and closed on the boat in like a few days like it was fast forwarded and then uh he wanted me to run the boat back with him just me and him so i said okay no problem so we leave Virginia and we pass by Oregon Inlet, which is basically the point of no return. You pass by Oregon Inlet, you're running past all the shoals and, and you know, you can't get back in until you reach Moorhead City. So we pass Oregon Inlet. It's like a lake, flat as can be, and maybe 40 miles past that starts blowing a gale. Foggy, rainy, and it gets rough. And this guy's never owned a boat. It was a 58 Viking, never owned a boat, don't have any experience in rough seas, and he's freaking out. I can, I'm looking right, I'm running the boat, I'm looking next to him, his eyes are like saucers. So I'm just like, oh boy. So <laughs> the whole time, you know, he's getting up and trying to move, and I'm like, no, no, just sit there, you know, you can't move, and it's this rough, and we're slowed down from 28 knots down to like 15 knots, because it's so rough, foggy, everything. So he's bleeding on his elbow, jams his finger, he's bleeding on his heel. Like, I'm just like, just stay still, buddy. Don't put your seatbelt on. Don't move. <laughs> so we get into Moorhead City after a long day at night and we dock up and I'm telling him how to tie up the lines and he hops off the dock and he starts going up towards the bar and I'm like, hey, whoa, no, no, no. We got to wash the boat down. <laughs> he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, I said, it's all salty. I said, we got to knock the salt off. So he comes back. We wash the boat off. It's about seven o'clock now. And he hops off the dock after everything's, you know, washed. And he starts walking towards the bar. And I go, hey, we got to shammy everything off now. He goes, you got to be kidding me. You're messing with me now. I was like, no, I'm serious. It's like, this is how you take care of your boat. This is what you do. And he goes, okay. Shaming the boat off. We hop inside, take showers, eight o'clock at night. And we're trying to catch Floyd's before it closes down for a nice fish dinner. I hear this guy. I'm taking a shower. I hear this guy in the front stateroom. And he's like, you should have seen this SOB. He's like, the waves were coming over the top. He's like, it was rough. I'm bleeding on every elbow and finger. And I'm just laughing. He goes, I think I'm going to put the boat up for sale tomorrow. No. And he was dead serious. I was like, so we go. And I said, hey, uh, I heard you talk in the room there. Who are you talking to? He goes, I was talking to my dad. I was like, so you're going to put the boat up for sale tomorrow? He goes, I was thinking about it after that day. I was like, okay, well, let's see how the rest of the trip goes. The next three days, flat calm. He's got his feet kicked up listening to Jimmy Buffett. He's been in boating for the last 10 years. He had the best suntan of his life yeah. those next three days. He did. One bad day. <clears throat> He got it after that, and then, you know what, the rest was gravy, and he still loves it, so 
God bless him. Good guy. Love it. Love it. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, Mike. Craziest story with a potential client. Oh, buddy. I you know I've been fortunate enough to have a bunch of uh, larger, uh, expensive yachts, and with those boats, sometimes it brings out some of uh, the more extravagant type of buyers. You're being so kind with your words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so articulate. Oh my god. So the 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 funniest one was. And I knew from the get-go that it was not legit. And I had a friend of mine who worked at Goldman Sachs who helped me determine that the origins of the emails and the, and the texts and everything else. So it was an entity claiming to be part of a royal family of a uh, Central African company, country. And they wanted three different yachts, and they wanted one in Ibiza, one in Ahmed, and one to be in, in Miami. And, you know, normally I would, that phone call would go straight to voicemail, but they were very articulate. Their questions were extremely pointed. And at that point, I had been trained by a guy named Jim Wallace, who was a legendary big, big Moriac guy. So I had learned enough about, you know, flag states and, you know, manning requirements and, you know, transporting these big yachts around. And I, and I knew a lot about it. So after a while, I, I assumed it wasn't really a buyer. It was kind of a scammer just doing collection of information. So I said, you know, and, and I didn't mind doing it that much because it actually, it was an information chase. It forced me to kind of learn and type different things. And then at that point, my business wasn't so crazy that I didn't have a little bit extra time to kind of follow it, follow it up. So I said, listen, why don't we culminate this in a, 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 a um, FaceTime? We did, we did a, a phone call, a, a you know, Zoom type of phone call back was before Zoom was invented. And I had my assistant, Mary Beth, who's been with me since the day I started 15, 16 years Shout ago. Mary Beth. Mary Beth, I love you. So she sat off camera and we're sitting there and the gentleman's there and he has a black tarp behind him. And I'm, we're talking and he has very pointed questions. I mean, a lot of heavy duty logistical operating questions for yachts around the world. And as he's talking, the black tarp behind him, I guess one of the pins falls out, <laughs> and behind him is chickens, roosters, and, and goats. Stop. <laughs> I swear Stop. to God. I swear to God. Stop. So I I, it, it, was a, it was straight up African village behind him. <laughs> and he's trying to put the pin back up and go, is he like, excuse hold me. Hold please, hold please. He, like he's the boardroom of IBM. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for that slight delay. <laughs> and he's trying to pin the curtain back up. Disregard and the I, chickens. I, I forget his name, and I respectfully said, listen, <laughs> I, I hope I was helping you in some way, but you know, God bless and good luck in the future and, and goodbye. You definitely said the Zoom on purpose because you could read between the lines. It was day Zoom. One. What was back then? It was uh, Skype. 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 Thank yeah, you. Skype. So dated. Thank you. Oh my God. I've heard this story before and it, it's just funnier now. <laughs> hearing it again. And, but the guy, he backpedaled. It wasn't like he wanted to stop the conversation. I'm laughing. And he's like, yeah, of course we have chickens and roosters here and goats. But anyway, let me ask you about this 50-meter boat going to Pisa. My goats have gold <laughs> colors, okay? They're 24-karat gold colors. Oh, God. I got one other. I'm laughing over here at his story, and I'm thinking about the other part of the story I mentioned or forgot before. The uh, at, When we were cleaning that boat and when he was taking a shower, I heard him talking to his dad, and he goes, this guy's crazy. Waves are coming over the top. And he goes, I feel like I've been in three rounds of Mike Tyson. I'm so beat up. <laughs> and that's when I started rolling on the ground laughing, thinking, all right, this guy's he's going to be all right. Oh my he's going to be good. I love it. Okay, <laughs> so this brings us to the conversation. We've all been through it. This is three Yacht Burgers at a round table. And we're talking about like going to the trenches. How do you vet clients? Because I don't know about you, but I have learned through and through, never judge a book by its cover. No, I, my favorite clients walk down the dock in Levi's. They can buy anybody and anything on that dock. And they're my favorite people. They're the most wholesome human beings. They are family men. They are family women. And it brings us like this like thing, like you get this vibe and it's hard to read. So like, how do you vet your clients? That's a tough, tough deal. And you still can't do it after 
you know, 20 years of being in business. I agree. You, you can't do it. You can so, get a, I do believe in like a gut feeling that you can try to follow, but it's still uneasy with me. Gut feelings are probably mostly good, but you still, I mean, just like our clients that own businesses, they're dealing with people wondering the same thing. You know, is this guy really a potential for my business that's going to, you know, buy my product or is he not? There's people out there that, you know, just unfortunately want to be professional time wasters is what I call them. Um, but most of the most of the guys you deal with that are unassuming and Mike will tell you the same thing. Most of them are pretty realistic, real people that are just down to earth just like us are, you know, me and you and Mike. And uh, unfortunately, there's just a few loopholes out there. You just got to go through a couple chickens and goats, you know? But you're right. Gut feeling is a huge part. <laughs> How do you know? We've laughed at your story. How do you vet clients? Uh, fortunately, after 15 or 16 years, most of my clients are referrals, which helps out a lot. And it's just a conversation because, you know, ultra high net worth people roll in a certain way. And if you just talk to them after a period of time, you know, it's, I don't need people to have spectacular jets or mansions or anything crazy like that. You just, you, you talk to them and say, have you chartered a yacht? What are your friends like? What, what have you seen? I mean, you could kind of know it pretty quickly. Um, you know, when I first started, I had a guy who I was, was suspect immediately. And he came all the way over to see a 116 foot boat that I had listed. And when the, when the waitress came, he left his wallet and somewhere and, I had to buy him lunch and then pay for his parking. Wait, wait, wait. He pulled the whole, <laughs> wait, he pulled the whole, like, I left my wallet somewhere? Or you meant he... The whole thing, you know. And the whole song listen, and dance? You, you write that up to experience and, you know... We have to go through it, right? Well, you know... People, it, but, people don't know what we go through. They see, they see the sale. They see the glory. They're like, oh my gosh, we just ride on yachts all day. So I kind of love that this is coming to light you know that i like, spent more time on yachts when i worked on wall street I right mean, I, I spend most of my time on my desk me too i mean that's just the reality of it and then i love you know, that the, you there are certain light. people in this world who and, and i don't fault them i mean i, I kind of understand it like they get an opportunity to go out for an afternoon they feel like they're being shown a boat and treating it a certain way and they live this life i mean it's completely fictional that's a complete waste of our time but i don't fault them for it i mean it happens i mean if i gotta buy a lunch Every couple of years, then, hey, it's on me, you know? <laughs> you can afford it. Compare Wall Street right now to Yacht Brokerage. I want to hear it. Go head to head. You have so much experience. You have absolutely excelled in Wall Street. You've excelled in Yacht Brokerage. Mike, tell me comparisons, similarities, differences. Like, I consider our business, I call it the wild, wild west. Like, no rules. I would feel that wall street would have some rules but i don't know yeah i mean it's it's man it's it's different i mean i think the thing that wall street that helped me out a lot is that i dealt with ultra high net worth people in their most stressful situations by bar none i mean it's and if you you know i think i'm i'm, I'm decent at gathering large amounts of information and presenting it in a digestible way because that's just the way wall street operated i mean um and, you know, principally my customers when I worked up there were the head traders for different exchanges and different trading firms. And to say that they were intense was is the grossest understatement. <laughs> yeah, world, give it to us raw. World, we want to hear man. it raw. Don't dumb it, it was down brutal. for us. And, you know, it was funny. Talk to like, me about brutal. Give me an example of brutal. I went through some crazy training before they let, allow me to go on these trading floors to sell. And... The other trainees had a really difficult time because of the, the volume of noise and the yelling. And I grew up with a Marine dad and two other brothers. Yelling and is yelling is how we got the ketchup passed to you. That's just how we communicated. <laughs> Did you say ketchup? Was that the word, Mark? The ketchup. 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 I, ketchup. I, I was a, trying. I had to take a minute and be like, "Oh, ketchup." That's his New York. Uh, yeah, my beautiful Long Island accent. I was Thank like, you, "What are we catching up on?" <laughs> yeah, that so, took me. You picked up on that quick, Mark. No, you were like, "Oh, I knew yeah, what ketchup was." Well, the problem is, I also went to college in Boston, so I have the best of Boston. Oh, and Long Island, which is a, the double curse. You're a beautiful blend. <laughs> uh, beautiful blend. Good thing you got a good family, buddy. 
Right. I know. Mm-hmm. Good wife, good kids. God bless. Absolutely. Good man, though. Okay. So while we're on this role of high profile, tell me, without naming who it is, because we can't, when we have high profile clients, I know how that is. Is a serious amount of secrecy to that. There's amount of privacy. There's amount of respect. Who, without naming, is the highest profile client you've ever worked with? Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> What's he buying? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my god, that is great. <clears throat> uh, for me, um, um, <laughs> me. Uh, yeah, Mikey McCarthy. I saw yeah. him a uh, 26 foot. Custom boat earlier this year. Nice, <laughs> nice rig. Now I, I um, is it a kayak? No, no, it's got two motors on it. Okay, or is it a single? I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, uh, now I'm, I'm. Mike's got some pretty big names, and it, they all want to be low profile. I mean, all, all the guys do. I mean, it's it's just part. Can we of the all deal. agree to that? When you get to that level, it's it's a no. Do not mention my name. It's yep. work with my lawyers. Don't work with me. Like you're you're yeah. dealing very little with them, and and some some they some you do, but they just they you don't want to be known. They don't want to be addressed. They don't want to be in the news. They don't want to be you know tell your buddies about. It. I'm I'm of dealing course. with a foremost sultan of a of a country that low key guy that's actually down to earth as they come. Hunts, I've had one of my clients said if he made the Forbes 400 list, that he would probably fire 10 to 15 people <laughs> because that's their <laughs> sole job is to keep them low profile. You know, that, listen, who, it, it, there's nothing good that comes with it. Yeah. You know, it, so that's, yeah, I mean, I have four or five people who are on the Forbes list and they're just, they're great to deal with. And at some point you get handed over to their people, but there's a, absolute certain level of privacy they want that's why they want it and go use their boat and 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 stay away from the masses what is it like picking up the phone i know i do this as well but tell people what it's like picking up the phone and calling somebody that's on the forbes 400 list well it starts with their people you know gatekeepers what's that gatekeeper yep yeah the gatekeepers and uh then you go the trust I mean, the craziest story, I remember in 2008, which was an awful time to be a yacht broker, Lehman Brothers just went out. You know, every time you turn on CNBC, the market's off eight or 900 points. And I had a deal fall apart. It was on a 75 Princess, and it was a couple billion dollar deal. And that was important in 2008. And the deal falls apart on a Thursday. And Sunday, it's my birthday. I'm in my backyard, and I hear a New York accent call me up and say, hey, I want to buy that 75. So sure as hell, I think it's one of my friends messing with me and who I'm ready to strangle because this was a sore point in my life. So the individual, the individual says, hey, I want the 75. I'm like, well, listen, it's leaving for the Bahamas on Tuesday for eight weeks. If you want it, you have to accept the survey we did this week. And this is the price. I'll call you back. Half hour later, they call back and said, you got a deal. So this is Sunday. Meet me at the FBO private airport in Naples at eight o'clock in the morning. So my wife's like, what the heck? <laughs> so I get up at 5 a.m. or 4.30 in the morning, and she goes, do you think somebody's messing with you? I go, if somebody's messing with me from New York, it's going to be a homicide. <laughs> <laughs> so I land, I get a Lovely team. thing to tell your wife before you walk out the door. <laughs> I'm like, How did she, like, was she like, oh, are, cool, Mike, cool. Yeah. You have to know Mike to know that he's kidding and know that that's his humor. <laughs> so please, everyone that's that's feeling sad for his wife, know that she has been through this many times. She can laugh this off. Please she don't worry about I his wife. She have a laundry list of Long Island wise asses as friends. <laughs> Yes. So anyway, I get to the FBO, and sure as hell, the plane shows up, they buy it, and two days later, it's closed. So it's, you know, it's, we always are answer our phones. I mean, I, I was, took my family to Africa a couple of years ago, and we actually had an incident where the lion was charging a truck, and my wife turned around to me. Did you goes, just casually goes, say that? Are you really on the phone right now? And I'm like... Yeah, it's just the life. Yeah, you always got to answer your phone. Is that a rhino? Can he wait? Yeah, I'm really a, trying to get it. I'll show you the video. I have it on video. My I, phone's crazy. The I lion. believe you. Like, <laughs> through and through. I, like, the fact that you said that I didn't blink an eye, I know that. Okay, I'm going to ask you both a very um, good question. How do you earn? We were, we were talking about all these high profile clients, we deal with all ends of the spectrum. How do you earn people's business? Mark, let me hear it. 
Gotta be, uh, my dad taught me, my parents, my mom and my dad. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal. You're a real person and you treat everyone as you want to be treated. And this is how I live my life. And uh, the guys that I have, and of course you got different levels of clients. You got the clients who want their own privacy and that's, you know, business transaction only and that's it. You got guys that you get really close with that, they're we like, hey, have. get on my boat. We're going to Walker's Cay. We're going fishing. And, uh, you know, and, and you read all that and it's fine. And it, it all makes sense for you, for them. And, you know, everyone trusts each other. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, you just got to be, you got to be you and you got to be real and you got to be trustworthy. And that's why people, I've met some of the best guys in this industry because of uh, just being, being a real person. I believe that those who have made it in life and whether it's self-made doesn't matter how they've made it. People that have reached the opportunity to purchase, whether it's a sport fishing yacht, whether it's a motor yacht, whatever it is to spend time with their family, that they have the ability to see through, I would hope, you know, our sales tactics in the way that we're genuine. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about being your genuine self. Yep. And I think that those people at that magnitude and the level that we're discussing right now have been successful for a reason and that they can tell if you're being genuine or not, if you're there for their best interest or not. Mike, do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why Mark and I become his good friends. I mean, we're kind of the same mold. I mean, it sounds corny, but being honest, man, I mean, they're... The fast buck in this industry is what a lot of these yacht brokers are all about. Oh, you got to buy this boat. And I'll tell guys routinely, the right boat does not exist. You need to wait. And they look at you like you have three heads. And I said, no. And, you know, what I try to do is take a a tremendous amount of information and compact it and make it into a digestible form. So they can almost read this Excel spreadsheets, which I do way too many of. And to make the decision for themselves. And, and, and at the end of that, go into that process, you know, fortunately, I, I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of these guys, and I'm, I, I try to be funny a little bit, and I'll say, I go, you know, Mr. Smith, can I, w- would it be okay if I spoke to you for 30 seconds as if I was your son? And they always cock their head back and look at me and go, okay, boy, go ahead. And I'll go, Dad, what the hell are you thinking? That boat's a piece of crap. And I would say, boom, 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 boom. And they would laugh. But it made the point. And a lot of those, I turned a lot of guys who were dead set going in what I believe the wrong direction. And I helped turn them. And they kind of laughed about it a little bit. I, you know, and, I, and I explained to them, I go, we, we're in a really fortunate situation, Mark and I. We work for a company that does five or six to 700 transactions a year. And if you work at a company and you do 10 or 12 boats, what do you learn? We learn consistently what boats and what engines consistently do well at survey and which do poorly. And more importantly, we learn the value of these boats. There is no Kelly Blue Book here, folks. There is no Kelly Blue Book. We are the Kelly Blue Book. So the worst feeling in the world is to buy your brand new boat, cruise it to Bahamas, and docked next to a guy who's got the same exact boat and figured out you bought the wrong model and paid way too much for it. There's no amount of rum in the world that gets rid of the taste in your mouth <laughs> when that happens. You're and so there right. isn't. It no, happens a lot. So there isn't. Right. Yeah. Happens a lot, too. You just hit the most important point in our industry. And that leads me into the most important thing that I could ever bring this conversation on with. And I want both of you to speak. To the experience that HMI brings, and both of you have just touched on this, it's the fact that you're going to tell someone, no, you're going to walk your client on a boat. They might be gung-ho. They've seen it online. They love the pictures. The layout is perfect in their mind. They get there, and they still love it. And you know exactly what you just said. I know that I don't feel that these engines power this, you know, this model correctly or whatever it is you know, that we've experienced and that we've surveyed through and through. HMY has your back for the right reasons because we are experienced. We have been there. We have driven that boat. We have fished that boat. We have rowed that boat. Our clients have sold that boat. 
Can you guys speak to that? The experience level is like unbelievable. It's not uh, just a new fresh sales guy that doesn't know the pointy end from the rear end in this company. Um, I've lost clients for being honest, saying, no, this isn't the boat for you. And you know what? They've gone and used someone else and bought the boat. And that's fine. But um, I can go to sleep at night and feel good about myself because I did the right things. But this this company's got a good group of people. Mike's been here forever. He's one of the most knowledgeable guys that I know. Um, you know, there's there's a core group of guys that, you know, have have spent time, not just a salesperson, actual time on boats, time fishing the Bahamas, time fishing Montauk, the East Coast, all over the world, guys in Australia. I mean, it's, you know, the experience level is is unprofound in this company. And um it's not just that. It's also the guys that understand engines and sales comparisons. You're going to get the right level of service within this group, and and all the guys know how to do that. And when Mark says guys from Australia, he's talking about himself and being humble because Mark has fished Australia, haven't you, Mark? I have, and I'm I'm not just saying guys because girls too. Oh no, I don't mean it like that. I just meant like people need to know that you fished Australia, and yes, girls have fished Australia, but that's on my list. That's not me. You're not leaving me out. Yep. <laughs> no, I was, I was, a, I was in the womb of that council. My dad <laughs> caught his grandeur in Australia. That's right, Lizard Island. I, <laughs> I seen was, that I picture. That was a great thought. Yep. Um, no, I honestly, we were actually talking about a family vacation when we were talking about my dad's grandeur, and we're gonna go next year. So that's on the, that's on the list. 100%. You're going. You're going. I go with you. Mike the just best. gave me a huge, uh, you know, point over the table. So, Mike, you coming? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, that's on the top of my bucket list. It. Absolutely. So we're Gotta talking about it. we're talking about bucket list, you know, and it's hard with with y'all. Honestly, you guys are men that I look up to in the industry. You are people that have been there, done it, and you're showing your kids it. And I'm like, Dad, you know, I we go, we travel the world. And I'm very fortunate to have gone a lot of places with my dad, but he's so humble to a fault. Well, we'll get somewhere abroad. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, cool. I'm like, dad, do you see that? He's like, yeah, I've been here. I'm like, you brought us here and you've already been here, but he didn't want to kill it for us. He didn't want to like bring us down. And I'm that's like, a great dad. Right? That's, that's respectful. Because when I do that's repeat awesome. trips with my kids, I'm kind of like, damn, I could have gone with Dara. I'm like, you know, but no, that that is what a good dad is. Yes. Yeah. He wants us to see it, and he is a great dad. And so I was like, you know what? I know you've seen this, but I want to see it. Lizard Island <laughs> next year, we're going. Like, I can't, I just, that's, I, come on. It's an experience few have uh, you actually done. You few boats, because that it's, ain't cheap. <laughs> right? I know, right? We better get to work. And I say, we, me and my dad, we better get to work. No, that's serious. Put it on the list. It's unbelievable. Top of my list. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Okay, so we've talked about the experience at HMY. I want to know what you, Mike and Mark, do outside of selling yachts. Talk to me as dads. You both have two children. Tell me what you do outside of work. What is your downtime? So obviously, I do a lot of modeling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why is me laughing so hard? You all know Mike McCarthy. It's impossible I, for your personality to not come through. I do a lot, I do a lot of before pictures. Oh <laughs> so I, I have a 12-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl who I both love dearly. We spend a lot of time on the boat as a family. They, both my kids enjoy um, surfing. My son is a really big fisherman. I've taken him to Canada. I mean, at 10 years old, he actually unassisted caught an 800-pound bluefin tuna, which was awesome. And we... We're lucky enough to get to live in Montauk for seven or eight weeks a year um, with, with our families. Both my, my mom and my, my wife's parents are up there and my brothers and cousins. And it's just a great thing. So that's, that's my passion is the water and the kids and the family. And I coach soccer and I'm really the head coach is a very attractive Division One female <laughs> soccer player. And I never played soccer, but I am apparently the muscle. That yells a little bit to get the kids out of the, you know. You're the New York accent. Let's go. Yeah, stop fighting over juice boxes and get on the damn field and score some goals. I love it. Yeah, but that's my life and I love it. It's all good. You're a good dad. And Mark, what do you do outside of Yacht Brokerage? Yeah, I'm on uh, the front side. Got, uh, a five-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. 
I'm going to be following footsteps. And um, you know what? We we do everything together, and it's all outdoor stuff. And we take the boat out. Horses. You uh, and I have talked about this, Mark. Your wife got the horse bug. The wife don't got encourage the horse. Don't you know, encourage her. So no. I'm into horses. Mark knows this, and he came up to me at a boat show, and he's like, "Oh my God, Lexi, we got a horse. The kids are so excited. My wife is so excited. She's on the horse, and I'm like." Mark, I am so happy for you. And he thought I was going to be his biggest fan. I was like, you know that all your money is going to go away now. <laughs> well, I, I got taught by a, a good friend of mine that owns a couple of horses recently. He said, uh, Marky, you know how to make a small fortune? I said, how's that? He goes, well, you start with a big fortune and then you buy a horse. <laughs> And then you've got a small fortune. So that's that's where we're heading, I guess. But uh, Blair's it's happy. so true. <laughs> but you know what? Happy wife, happy life. That 100%. And your I, horse is beautiful. I bought hall passes for the next 20 years. McCarthy, where are we going next, buddy? Tell me. Uh, tell Tropic me. Star, Madeira. Bingo. <laughs> tell, that's it. Tell everyone what your horse's name is. Baron. Yes. But we call him Baron von Lichtenstein. <laughs> also, a.k.a. he looks like Fabio. He has the most beautiful, so he's a Palomino, which is a yellow horse That's with true. a blonde mane. And he was, I was expecting like for our first <laughs> horse, just like, okay, like trail horse, whatever he shows me this video. This horse is like an, a Pantene commercial. And I'm like, okay, all right. Yeah. Goals. So Mark did it right. But Mike Ryder, you kind of bypass, like we know you fish. Tell me about Ryder's tuna story. So Ryder, since, I mean. When he was a year and a half old, I was untangling his friend's rods. And he, he untangled his own rod, put a piece of bait on it, and caught a pinfish in a harbor down in Hawks Cay. And everyone, there's a 45 cobble, they're like, did that kid just catch his own fish? And, and going forward, that's kind of been what it's been about him. He's been a really, really good, cool kid to raise. And, and, and he loves it. It's not... You know, and I firmly believe it's not me overly encouraging him. He's passionate about it to the point where when we come home on our family boat, he leaves the house and goes back to fishing on the lake. So I know he's got a real fishing problem. He's got the bug. I mean, he was catching 45, 50 pound bass when he was, in, before he was 10, we were trying to break the world record there for a year. But anyway, a couple of years ago, my good friends. Yeah. Well, anyway, a couple of years ago, Scott Ryan, a good friend of mine, organizes a trip in Canada, <clears throat> and Ryder on his first year was 10. He had three giants, 657, 5,800. And then the next year we caught another 800 pounder. And that's unassisted. I mean, he's, he is a 10 year old kid who has, he has my father who was a Marine, uh, never stop additive. And he just will not stop. And he loves it. He loves it. I mean, he was he was the youngest kid they ever had on the boat up there. And, uh, you know, these guys were all big, tough, strong lobstermen. And they're like, uh, your 10-year-old is wearing less clothes than we are. We're freezing our asses off. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but Mike, like, that's what makes a kid like that grow up without getting in trouble. Because you keep him busy. And he loves, he's got a passion. He's never, you know what? He's never going to get it's in trouble. It's in his blood. Oh, yeah, you never know. But he loves it. It's in his blood. My daughter is awesome. She loves it, too. She just scored her first tarpon last weekend. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's a... I've been trying to do more tarpon fishing now that, like, so fishing season's see over. Us. Starting The season's starting now. I love come it. I'm doing us. it. Doing it, for sure. Yeah, it's great. But I wanted everyone to hear both of you as, you know, individuals, as what you do on day-to-day, -day because you both work your tails off. You work hard. This is a 24-7 business. People see the glories of our business. They see the sales. You know, they see the dollar signs, whatever. There is a lot of chickens behind those uh, <laughs> thumbtacks where the wall falls down and there's chickens and goats, right? Roosters, <laughs> whatever yeah. it was. And I feel like that's a good analogy. I just came up with that, but. That's how I feel. I feel like, you know, you think you're talking to the best of the best and the tarp falls down and it's a total fraud. We deal with that a lot in our business. And I think it's really important to bring that to light. But most importantly, you both brought home the most important fact. And that is that HMY has the most experienced, the most professional, and the most genuine sales professionals to get you from start to finish of your sale and it doesn't end at the sale. 
It continues through to a lifelong relationship to where you're fishing Walker's K with Mark Mitchell. You're cruising on your princess yacht with Mike McCarthy. Even, you know, they both do Marty Yachts and Sportfish. But I feel like you both painted that picture really well today. And that's what I'm so grateful for both of you and so glad that you came on. And I just want to thank both of you. And I want people to know how to get in touch with you. So let's start with Mike McCarthy. If anyone wants to talk to you and purchase a yacht, get to know you better, where can they find you? Uh, I have a website. It's McCarthyYachts.com. Or you call my cell anytime, 772-631-2838. All right, Mark, tell us where we can find you if you want to buy a yacht, talk about walkers, learn about that. What's, you know, what's the new one? Yeah, my cell phone's 407-435-6982. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Mark Mitchell Yachts. Mark Mitchell is with two L's. Perfect. And what is your email? mmitchell at hmy.com. All right. Two L's. Y'all heard it here. Thank you so much to both of you for your time, for your knowledge. I wish people understood how much that means, you know, to me. And I think they really enjoyed what you had to say today. Lexi, thank you so much. Lexi, great job. As always. Appreciate Uh, it. Thanks, y'all.